Hi, I'm Thomas. Welcome to the Parachute Advice Podcast. My life has taken a lot of twists and turns, and on this podcast, I will dive into those experiences. The goal is to help everyone listening learn from my experiences and hopefully avoid some of the mistakes I've made. Hi, welcome to today's episode of the Parachute Advice Podcast. I'm your host, Thomas. Today, I want to discuss a topic that, frankly, I've had far too much experience with in my 43 years alive, the death of a loved one. At this age, we are all starting to lose loved ones. For many, it's still grandparents or older relatives. For some, we're starting to hit that point where parents pass away, and tragically, for some, it's spouses, siblings, and even children. I can vividly remember to this day the first funeral I went to. It was my uncle. He'd had a massive heart attack and died at home in his 50s. His youngest daughter found him dead on the bedroom floor. It really affected me. I was worried for weeks after that it was going to happen to my dad. Worst part is, it turns out I was right. It just took a few years longer than I expected. My parents from an early age believed children should be exposed to death. It was never meant to scare us, but to educate us and help us get accustomed to what is inevitable. While never discussed, I've come to realize through my years that it was likely due to their careers. They were both officers in the U.S. Army. It was who they were, and they always knew there was a chance that they could be ordered to war and not come home at a moment's notice. It's what they signed up for, and they knew the risk. This shaped a lot of my life growing up. They were always preparing me, the oldest, to be there for my younger sister if anything happened. Here's where I'm going to share a hard truth with everyone. Everyone you love and care about will die. You will die. We all die. It's how things play out. There's no changing this. No matter how hard you think you have prepared or thought about it, not one death that happens will be easy. Yes, you will grow accustomed to the process, and there are parts that will almost even become comfortable, but it will never be easy. After a few go-arounds, you learn the process. The process of grief, the process of death, becomes a routine part of your life. You will see the five steps of grief coming, you'll know how to prepare, and you'll understand that they rarely hit in a set order or a set period of time. You'll just know the process. If you're not familiar with the grief process, here are the five primary steps. Denial, anger, bargaining, depression, and acceptance. It's not linear, and you won't go from one to the next. Monday could be a day of anger, Tuesday could be a day of denial, and so on. Even 30 plus years after my dad died, I still from time to time slip back into these steps. My dad died when I was 11 years old. I've mentioned this in previous episodes. I'll never forget a single moment of that series of events. They're permanently seared into my mind. From him rushing to the hospital from his heart attack on a sunny Saturday afternoon, after waiting far longer than he should have, just so that he could first take me to my stupid violin lesson. Violin was something I took up because he did it at my age, and I wanted to be just like him when I grew up. I can still see, like a vivid movie playing on repeat in my head, the look on people's faces as the 100-plus car procession from the church to the funeral home passed through the city with a police escort, to standing next to my mom by his flag-draped coffin in the cemetery with hundreds of friends, family, and military standing there in orderly fashion while taps played. To this day, I can't hear taps or a 21-gun salute without sending chills through my spine. None of those experiences at 11 made it any easier 14 years later as my mom's flag-draped coffin was processed from the church to the same military cemetery to be buried with my father, her husband. Coincidentally, she died 14 years later, nearly to the day. I may not have ever mentioned this, but both their deaths have permanently ruined Easter for me. This used to be a big holiday in our house. My dad was Lutheran and my mom Catholic. As a result, we would change off whose church we went to for special holidays. Christmas was at my mom's church. Easter was my dad's. We would get up early for sunrise service and then head to my grandma's house while she was around, and then our house later on for a home-cooked brunch and a day of family. But my dad died on Easter Sunday, 
and my mom died on Good Friday, both the same April weekend 14 years apart. But like I said in the second go-around, parts were strangely easier. Not the things that ever should be easier. But my mom made sure that when my dad died, even at 11 years old, I was a part of every step of things from planning the funeral to meeting with the estate attorney. While I could have barely told you what went on, strangely, when I had to do it all over again, I just knew the process and the steps that needed to happen. From what it would be like the moment she died to planning the funeral. We had talked a lot over the years about what her wishes would be and what to do from her DNR request, meaning do not resuscitate, to what her funeral would be like. Even where to bury her and who to call from the military for help on anything that came up that I couldn't figure out. For example... I knew that her wish was to use life-sustaining measures up to the point where her quality of life would be affected. What does this mean for me? Well, there I stood at 25. I had to look the doctor in the eye and ask, if you keep doing CPR, will she make a full recovery with no lasting effects like brain damage? The moment the doctor said no, she would likely have brain damage, I had to honor her wishes and tell them to stop all life-saving measures. Everyone out there who's listening who has aging parents or family who might be in this position to have to make the same call Have this uncomfortable conversation now. The hard conversation now will be far easier than when the panic sets in because the situation has come to be. If you've ever asked anyone to be your power of attorney in medical situations, tell them your wishes. Be open and honest. As hard as this conversation will be, it's better to do it than not. Trust me when I say this from experience. Have this conversation with your loved ones. Like I mentioned earlier, everyone we love will die, so there's no point to avoid these conversations. I recently had to sit down and have this conversation with my sister as part of writing up my medical power of attorney documents. Was it easy or comfortable? No, but it had to be done. Next, discuss burial and funeral plans too, so people know the next steps. One weird reason why this is so important is because of the speed everything will happen. If your loved one dies at a hospital or care facility, within 30 to 60 minutes, someone is going to ask you what funeral home to contact. You don't want to be scrambling when that question is asked. I'll tell you now, it's like a hotel checkout time. They need the room cleared, cleaned, and ready. Is it cold? Yes, but just be prepared for this because it will happen. Once a loved one dies, you will be sucked into the death business. For all of those involved in the process, it's a business and you need to accept that because some hard conversations and shocking things will happen. I just mentioned the first, just how quick the hospital asks where to send the body. Next is the funeral prep, and this is going to be very expensive. Does the person have a cemetery spot? Well, you need to find and purchase that. Did they leave plans as to how to handle their body? Burial versus cremation? All questions you should have had discussed ahead of time. For my mom, we had the VA cemetery, so that was set. But each of my parents also had purchased plots very early on. That used to be a pretty common thing back in the day. Next is the casket. Where will the funeral be? What type of accessories like funeral cards do you need? Will you need thank you note package? What kind of flowers? And from there, where? Hell, This might be naive, but I didn't realize you have to pay the priest or minister who does the service, even if it's your church. It wasn't a lot of money, but it's just another thing to think about. Then there's the logistics. Should you do a funeral on a weekday or a weekend? How many people do you expect? For my dad's, we did what turned into a six-hour viewing on a Wednesday night and a church service with a viewing beforehand on a Thursday midday. Will the cemetery portion be public or private? Do you have a lot of people who may need to travel a long distance for the funeral? As you've probably figured out by now, There is a lot to know and plan. This is why it's so important to have these discussions ahead of time, because all of this will be coming at you fast. You may only have a few hours or a few days to sort all of this out. My parents had always been very clear. Spend as little as possible. 
They saw no reason to waste money on expensive things like fancy coffins that would just go in the ground. That said, in 2004, when my mom passed away, the funeral cost nearly $7,000. Here was another big surprise. The funeral home will want to be paid on the spot or ask you to sign over a life insurance policy to cover the cost. They will not be offering you any billing later options. While this may be different for some, be prepared to pay up front for the majority of it. According to the National Funeral Directors Association, a basic funeral with viewing and burial vault has a median cost of $9,500 as of 2021. Here's another big surprise if you haven't thought about this. Funerals are for the living and not the dead. They're dead. I've had this exact conversation with my sister. As far as I'm concerned, when I die, just toss my body in a dumpster and call it a day. I'd rather she take the cost of the funeral and go on an amazing vacation. Or at the very least, throw a party to celebrate my life with family and friends. Let everyone eat and drink like there's no tomorrow and leave it at that. I know that sounds cold and harsh, but think about it. What does the funeral matter? Maybe your specific religious beliefs require certain practices to reach an afterlife, but mine don't. Personally, I don't think any god cares how you're buried. They care how you lived. Hell, I've gone as far as researching free to virtually free options for burial. In case you're curious, burial at sea is one of those free options. There are some minor regulations, but not many around how it has to be done. As outlined in an article on Lifehacker titled, How to Be Legally Buried at Sea, you'll have to obtain an MPRSA, Marine Protection Research and Sanctuaries Act, general permit. And you do not have to be cremated. But if you're choosing to be buried in a casket, the casket must contain a minimum of 22-inch diameter holes, must weigh at least 300 pounds, and can't float, for obvious reasons. If you're foregoing a casket, the EPA recommends wrapping a natural fiber or cloth and adding additional weight so the body sinks. Materials that are not easily biodegraded, like plastics, are not allowed with your body. Human remains must be released at least three miles away from any U.S. shore. Okay, let's jump back to the topic at hand. Enough about my crazy burial at sea ideas. Next is the funeral day. That day is going to be about everyone else. It's not going to be about you. Everyone who comes that day will share stories of how the death impacted them and touched them. I don't know how to explain it, but it's just how it goes. People like to be the center of attention when it comes to death or tragedy. I'm not saying everyone does, but a lot of people do. Whether intended or not, it's what happens. Hell, I've been guilty of this. I think we all have at some point. There'll be positives like stories about your loved one you never heard. But too often it will be about how the person who's there to comfort you was impacted as badly by their loss as you were. On top of that, the day of the funeral is going to fly by. Make sure to take time for yourself. Eat breakfast and plan a meal for later that evening. No matter what you plan, you'll forget to eat during the day. After my dad's funeral, we ended up eating McDonald's on the way home at 10 o'clock at night because we hadn't eaten since early that morning. And that was the only thing that was open. For my mom's, we had some friends from out of town staying with us, so I planned pizza for late night delivery. Now comes the hard part, the actual grieving process. The first few days and weeks are frankly the easiest. You're so busy working through things, you're just numb. Plus, everyone's around there to help. Then one day it all changes. Your life transitions back to your normal routine, friends and family don't understand why you're still upset, and those acquaintances that wanted to help any way they could fade away just as fast as they had appeared. I once heard grief explained this way, with the Vicki Harrison quote, Grief is like the ocean. It comes on waves, ebbing and flowing. Sometimes the water is calm, and sometimes it's overwhelming. All you can do is learn to swim. Over time, the calm periods will be longer, and the waves less. But just like the ocean, there will be waves, and sometimes terrible storms. 
The initial period after the numbness wears off and before you learn to cope is the hardest and for me was the most dangerous portion. After my dad died, I was too young to do too much damage with my destructive behavior. That said, looking back, I feel terrible every day about how I handled it. Oftentimes lashing out at family, especially my mom. I acted every day like it was her fault or that she had no idea what I was going through or what my dad's death was like for me. Now that I'm an adult, I realize in a way I was right. She didn't understand how it was because for her, it was a thousand times worse. She went from having her best friend and confidant and second parent to being a single mother with little to no support overnight. After my mom died, it was a whole different story. I had moved home to take care of our family dog in the house she left us. It was in the suburbs of the city I was living in, but it felt like a million miles away from where I had just been a few months earlier. I more or less shit on all my friends, cutting a lot of ties. I had also just graduated college, so I lost that structure too. Quickly, my drinking got out of hand as well as my attitude. By the end of things, I was easily killing a 750 of hard alcohol a day and sometimes a case of beer. Oftentimes coming home from my second shift restaurant job, drunk from going out with coworkers to just keep drinking till I passed out, often in a lawn chair in the garage where I would just sit and chain smoke while pounding beers. There were far too many days I would just get up, have a few drinks before I headed back to work just to get through the day. Thankfully, I realized only after I basically got fired that I needed help and reached out to a therapist to help me turn things around. Something important I learned going through this is having to be open with yourself and others about what you're going through. Oftentimes you know what's wrong and what needs to happen, but we push it out of our minds or don't talk to others or reach out for help, but you must do that. All right, let's talk a little bit more about the five stages of grief. I think people get hung up on what the names and stages mean. As I mentioned earlier, here are the five stages of grief. Denial, anger, bargaining, depression, and acceptance. Let's start with denial. What exactly does this mean? Well, it can be as real as simply refusing to accept that the loved one is gone. You hear stories of this when the circumstances are murky or no body is involved. But for 99% of us, it's a more abstract concept. You'll have those moments where you might think, I should call my dad or mom, tell them what just happened. Or I'll talk to my grandmother next time I see her to only suddenly remember what's happened if they're gone. Anger is probably the most open and in the view of all. For me, I spent years in this stage on and off, pissed that it happened to me. Why did I have to be the one to lose my parents? It comes up from time to time when I hear people complaining like, God, my mom's calls are so annoying. I at times would just lose it on people about this. Looking back, it was just stupid. But I also realized it was part of the process that I had to go through. Bargaining is one I can say I really don't know much about. You see, this is more leading up to death or in people who have been diagnosed with a terminal illness. I went through some of this while my mom was sick before she passed away. She'd had a severe infection on and off, which ultimately led to her death. And I would think about how I would give up this or that or do better in this or that if it would just clear up. But for me, it really wasn't a big part of the process. Next is depression. This is the hard one. I think it's the one that can be the most destructive and dangerous. For me, it was the drinking when my mom died and then later on with thoughts of suicide. It's also the one that can be very hidden from others. I would say if you know someone who has lost a loved one, watch for this stage. That is when you should be there for them. If just to listen, I'm no expert or professional in this area, but through personal experience, if someone has been going through and showing outward signs of other stages and then suddenly nothing, it's probably a good sign they're in the stage of depression. The same if they suddenly pull away from you or their emotions seem very unusual for them. This unfortunately at times can include people who suddenly seem very much at peace or outwardly happy. If in doubt, reach out to them and professionals for help. With depression, it can never hurt being too cautious with people. 
Acceptance is a tough one. I don't think you ever fully get there, but like I said several episodes ago, for me, it was probably the hardest part in the entire journey. It came when I realized I was happy with who I had become. Why was this the hardest? Because part of who I had become was all the loss I had been through in my life. This includes the loss of my parents, all of my grandparents, some extended family, and my best friend. All that loss made me who I am today. For better or worse, I had to accept this to move on and get right with myself. All right, back to the grief process and the post-loss period. After the funeral, prepare for the long haul portion. This part will include an estate attorney and probate. Plus, I would recommend a CPA for the tax portion too. I do my own taxes, but when it comes to all the crazy estate stuff, I would have been lost. Plus, keep this in mind, the person that died is still required to file a tax return for the last year they were alive. As they say, there's only two things in life that are guaranteed, death and taxes. Here's a tip that saved my butt a few times. When doing the estate, if you're the executor of the state, the person in charge of managing things, ask for far more copies of the death certificate and domiciliary letters than you think you need. Just last year, 17 years after my mom died, I needed each one of those for something I had missed way back then. What I would suggest is right before you close out the final estate stuff, ask the attorney to get you 10 copies of each from the court. Yes, this is going to cost you money, but it will be easier than having to deal with it in the future, and in the big picture, only a minor additional cost. To this point, please, if you've named someone as your executor and your will, talk with them. Keep them up to date with everything. An easy way to do this is to share with them your net worth statement and notes on all of your insurance policies. Think about it this way. If you don't trust the person with this info now, why would you ever name them your executor? When my dad died, my mom didn't know he had taken out extra life insurance. The only reason she found out was because the bill came. She called and explained what had happened and they said, okay, here's the check since he had died before the policy had, had lapsed. If the person who passes away has received a lot of medical care, be prepared to sort out all of the medical expenses and insurance stuff. This could be very hard if they were on their own insurance policy. You may need to get the attorney involved to prove your power of attorney over the estate. I tell this story all the time about when my dad died. We were hit with over $2 million in medical bills. Think about this. That was $2 million in 1990. This easily could have bankrupted us, but my mom was able to negotiate to get everything covered. But here's where the stupidity comes in. The hospital agreed to cover a portion since part of the treatment was experimental and the rest would be paid up to the max of his health insurance policy. At the time, health insurance policies still had lifetime maxes on their policy. And for my dad's, it was $1 million. But here's the crazy part. Before they paid, they made my mother sign a document acknowledging that my dad, who had just died, could never get health insurance with them again. They refused to pay the bills until my mom signed the document guaranteeing that the person who had just died would never try to take out health insurance again. Welcome to the chaos of dealing with death. Earlier, when I mentioned having an issue come up 17 years after my mom died, what was a life insurance policy that she had taken out for my sister and myself when we were born? I'm listed as the owner and my sister is the beneficiary. All I needed to do was change the address so I could get the bill at my new house, but I had to first prove that she had died and I was authorized to make that address change. I needed a death certificate and a domiciliary letter so that I could just change everything over to my ownership. Here's another thing that is becoming a major pain in our modern lives, digital info. This is one that is now a major part of most of our modern lives. Digital assets can include things like your Gmail email address or your Facebook account or your LinkedIn account. 
If you're not aware, it's nearly impossible to get into those, even if you have a power of attorney. When my best friend died, his wife was unable to access his Gmail account for important school stuff for their kids. One easy solution and one I set up is to start using a password management app for all of your digital stuff. The paid version of the software I use offers an emergency access feature. The way it works is if the person you have approved and sent a link to requests access, you are alerted, and if after a set time frame that you have picked, there is no effort to stop them from accessing your account, they get full access to all of your passwords. Think of this as a dead man switch, no pun intended, to let someone gain access. Yeah, most user agreements say that you cannot let others access your account and make changes like disable it or delete it. Well, I say screw them and do what you need to do. I don't know all the fine print details, but let's talk about banking and credit cards. My parents always had joint and separate accounts. One main reason is that in the event of death, they still had full control and access to at least some cash and credit cards till things were sorted out. I tell all my friends to this day to have this in place. You never know what could cause a roadblock. Same thing goes for things like your house and cars and how they're titled. I would suggest as your financial life gets more complex and you have kids, meet with an attorney to sort out some of this. The small cost up front to make sure things are done correctly will pay off in the long run in the event of a sudden death. I'll never forget this story. When I was about eight years old, my dad took me to buy a new car. He was teaching me how stuff like that worked. Like I mentioned earlier, my parents were always teaching me life lessons any chance they got. They were of the view that while I may not remember every detail, I would be better equipped for things just by observing these events. So there we were in the dealership. Strangely, to this day, I can remember every little detail about that day. We got to the end and the sales guy said he needed to get a coffee and would be right back. My dad said, great, I'll just run this paperwork out to the car to have my wife sign it so that she is co-owner of the car. I immediately said, but dad, she's at home. It's the one and only time I can remember getting slapped. The salesman just walked away and my dad signed her name on the title and explained it was so she could be co-owner in the event of his death. Did he need to do this? I have no idea. But what I took away from this, most of all, was that he was planning for a potential outcome and trying to avoid any potential issues if he were to die. Keep in mind, at this time, there was no loan. My dad only paid cash for things like cars and homes back then. Why? Well, back then, the interest rate on a car loan could easily be over 10%. I won't even begin to scare you with what a home loan was then. Let's say this. I'll never complain about interest rates in today's lending environment. To that point, have a will, especially if you have kids, and make plans for what will happen to them if both of you passed away suddenly. That may seem like a distant and unlikely thing. What would be worse? Planning for this one in a million occurrence that both parents die simultaneously? Or knowing that because you didn't plan for it, your kids are just tossed in the abyss of uncertainty while someone else sorts out where they're going to live and who's going to take care of them? Even if it's not the death of both parents, but the short-term inability to care for them, like an accident or something. And for God's sake, talk to the person you picked to be their guardian. While the surprise you're a guardian of small children storyline makes for a great lifetime movie, it's not the best plan. This must include clear communication between spouses. Don't ever make assumptions. Here's another topic for discussion between spouses or family member. What is the plan if the spouse, who's the primary money manager, dies? This is a great reason to have a financial advisor or at least a trusted friend or family member who can help step in to get them through the transitional period. I will never forget how important it was for my dad who would do our family taxes every year to get them done while he was in the hospital after he'd had his initial heart attack. 
He understood how important it was to get the taxes done since it was so close to the filing deadline and there was still a risk that he might pass away. Keep in mind, back then, if you did your own taxes, it meant paper forms you usually got from the post office or library and a workbook to do the math, which was done by hand with a calculator. I vividly remember the next year and my mom carrying a paper grocery bag into the accountant's office she had been referred to by her newly hired financial advisor while crying because she was so overwhelmed and lost as to what needed to happen. She needed her taxes, our taxes, and and her dead husband's done and had no idea how to get it done. While she was a very smart and successful woman, this was just something she had never been a part of. It was always something my dad just handled. To that, by the time she passed away, you would have been blown away by the process and detail she had developed to manage it all and make sure if anything happened to her, it would all be crystal clear to anyone. She also made sure that I was part of everything, from meeting with the accountants every year to do taxes to meeting with the financial advisor. This is something I think was huge for me to learn how to handle things in the long run. To this day, I manage a large portion of my sister's finances, but I make sure she's involved in every step from doing her own taxes while I observe every every year to making sure she's on every call and goes to every meeting with our financial advisor. I've seen her knowledge and skill in this area grow exponentially. I'm now very confident that if something happened to me, it would not be as rough as it could have been just a few years ago. You never know what could happen. Families need to talk and make sure it's not just the easy stuff. And I just don't mean when you get old. Have these conversations the minute you are an adult and make it a regular routine. Hell, my best friend's wife probably never assumed he would die at 37 in a tragic accident. Thank God they had plans in place. To that point, if you're ha- to that point, if you have aging parents and multiple siblings, have conversation with your parents about their plans and amongst the siblings. I don't mean to be cold or that you should expect to just get things, but to have a simple plan and conversation about the important details is vital. For example, does your family have a summer cabin? What happens if it's left to all the kids? How will expenses be divided up? What if one of the siblings wants to be, quote, cashed out from the summer cabin? How does that work? Will it force everyone to sell the summer place? Same goes for the primary residence or the toys like boats and ATVs. If a will isn't written correctly, this could be a nightmare as well. You would be amazed how quickly people can lose their shit when money comes into play. To that point, if you're making a will for yourself, think about that. Maybe you just put in there that the estate will sell the property and then the proceeds will be divided up to prevent the issue altogether. While it can be hard, it may make sense to be open ahead of time about your wishes too. Maybe you've decided you're leaving your children nothing and it's all going to charity. Don't let that be a shock to your family. In the end, it's your call, but don't let it ruin things after you're gone by having things be a shock. Obviously, this is a very personal thing and I'm just sharing my views on the topic. If you get nothing out of this entire episode, get this one takeaway. Talk about the hard things early and often. It will make the part you or they control that much easier. Thank you for listening. Please join me again for future episodes. You can contact me at parachuteadvicepodcast at gmail.com. Again, that's all one word, parachuteadvicepodcast at gmail.com. You can also follow me on Instagram at parachuteadvice. Again, thank you for listening, and please like and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Oh,